All right. This morning, I want to start a uh, uh, just a little two-week series for you. And, and I suppose one of our biggest questions in our lives that we constantly ask ourselves is, what's next? Yeah? Do you guys ever ask that? What's, like, what's next for us? What's next for our kids? Hopefully, it's leaving home. Uh, you know, what's next uh, in, in my work? What's next? And and, and the incredible thing is probably one of the biggest questions I get asked as a, as a pastor is always, what does God want me to do? And that's really a question that can be summed up in what's next. What, what am I meant to do next? And the thing is, is that our spiritual walk or our walk with God is a journey and there are steps that God has given us that enables us to walk out so that we become spiritually mature. In fact, Paul the Apostle says this, why are you still on milk when you should be on meat? In other words, he's saying that we should be always walking in our spiritual maturity and going from strength to strength and glory to glory. And some of us, we get stuck on the path of what God has for us. But we all have next steps that we can take. We all have next things that we can do. And and one of the key ways that we grow and one of the ways that we realize that what God has for us, and one of the, the ways that we kind of uh, find out what it is that he wants us to do next is by getting in the right environment. The right environment will always help you uh, to grow. In fact, it says in Psalms 92 verse 13, and you would have heard this if you've been around church long enough. It says those who are planted, everyone say planted. There's a big difference between attending and being planted. In the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of their God. In other words, the scripture is saying if you get yourself into the right environment, you will flourish. You will go really well. There's a, there's a place in America that's called Death Valley. I've actually got a photo uh, of Death Valley up here. And Death Valley is, a, is, is a, basically a desert, as you can realize, in America. In fact, they've got this sign up here that says, Stop Extreme Heat Danger. Walking after 10 a.m. is not recommended. <laughs> I just think walking's not recommended. But anyway, <laughs> walking after 10 a.m. is not recommended because it's so hot. In other words, they're saying it's dangerous to you to walk. It was so, they called it Death Valley because nothing ever, ever grew there. It was dead. But somehow, and in 2005, somehow they had seven inches of rain fall in Death Valley. It had never rained in Death Valley before, and seven inches of rain dropped in this place that they called Death Valley, and this happened. That happened. A little bit of rain, and all of a sudden, all these flowers and all these things start happening. See, what they realize, the scientists realize, is that Death Valley wasn't dead, Death Valley was dormant. Right beneath the surface of the ground were actually seeds of potential that just needed to be in the right environment for great things to happen. And what we're trying to do here as a church and as a leadership group is we're trying to create a right environment so that your seeds of potential that lay under the surface would come about so that you become the best version of you. The you that God created you to be, that, that, that's why we do what we do here. It's not because we've got nothing, well, we do have nothing better to do with our time. It's not because 
you know, like I've got to find something to do and I don't know what else to do with my life. It's because I believe that we can create an environment that you can get planted. And the Bible says this, that when you're planted, you flourish. And, and I believe there are some people here this morning, you're on the spiritual journey and you think that your life is a death valley or you think that your, your spiritual walk is dormant. But I'm telling you, it, it's not dormant and it's not dead. There's seeds of potential under the surface. Then if we can get you in the right environment at the right time, then you will flourish just like God said that you would. See, for us to understand where we need to go next, we've actually got to understand where we are on the journey. You see, I drove back from Taupo yesterday, and the reason why I knew how to get to Auckland is because you go from Taupo to Chokoroa to Pateru. Now, there's a... There's a place that you'd love to retire, Pateru. So much happening in Pateru. There's a reason why you drive through it. Then on to Tirao, and then on to Matamata, and then home. Yeah, that's how you follow what's the next place that we've got to get to in our journey to get back home. And, and I think that there are steps that you and I need to take that will help us get to where we are, and I, and I want to help you, hopefully this morning, help you not only to identify what the steps are, but identify where you are on the journey and what step that you need to take next so that you are growing and flourishing because your life is not supposed to be dead. Your life is not supposed to be dormant. Your life is supposed to flourish when it comes to God. In fact, it says this in Psalm sixteen eleven. it says, you show me the path of life, in your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now I've heard that scripture mentioned lots of times, you know, that in your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore, but it starts by saying, you show me the path, and as we go along the path, we find the joy in his presence, and the life that's forevermore, yeah? You see, most people, most of us here, all of us, because God's put it on the inside of us, have a sense of potential. We have a sense that we we're created to do something significant. We, we, we know that there's potential in us somewhere. Yeah? Okay, some of you don't. How many people know that there's potential in your children? May not look like it half the time. <laughs> some of you think there's, yeah, there's potential for stupidity. Um, <laughs> There's potential out there. Most of us know that we have potential. Most of us know that God has called us to do something significant. If you've been around church long enough, we know that there's a life of purpose, but it's really hard to understand where we are meant to go when we don't understand what the path of life is. How can we live out our full potential or live out what it is that we know that we have that sense of purpose, but we actually don't know how to get there? Imagine leaving your house and saying, I, I'm going to go to Tahiti for a holiday, Bora Bora. How many people want to do that? But you have no idea how to get there. You, you're, you're going to just dream about it, but you're never going to get to it. And I think the reason why most people are stuck in where they are in their walk with God and their spiritual journey is because they haven't discovered the path of life. The, the scripture promises this, that I will show you the path of life. And in that path of life is joy and pleasures forevermore. And I don't know about you, but I want to know what that path is because I want 
joy and pleasures forevermore. And anybody else here this morning want to do that? You know, I, I could show you 16 scriptures or 16 verses or 16 passages throughout the Bible that have these four things that I'm about to talk to you about this morning. Uh, that they're, they're all kind of said in a different way, but these are the four steps that God, from the book of Genesis all the way to Revelation, that God has put in there as our pathway to get from where we are to where we need to be. And so I want to read you one of those scriptures this morning and then break it down for you so that you can kind of see the steps that God wants us to take, understand where I am in that journey to know what is the next step that I need to take so that I can see all that God has for me. Is that cool? Ephesians 1, 17 to 18 says this. This is Paul talking. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that. Everyone say, so that. So that. I pray that you would get the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you know these four things. You, that you may know him better. I pray that your eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Paul's saying here, I keep on asking God again and again and again when I think of you for a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know these four things. In other words, Paul is kind of saying, man, if you could just understand these four things, then your life will go so much better for you. And these four things, the first one is this, that you may know God. He said, so that you may know God. That word know there in that scripture is a Greek word called genosko. I practiced that all morning. A little bit of applause will be here. Thank you. It was like such a pity clap. It was unbelievable. And it literally means this in the Greek. It means to know God in an intimate, personal way. In fact, the same word is used when it says that a man knew his wife and then they had a child. It's not a sexual no, her or him. It's not a sexual term. It's an intimate term that you would know him in such a way that, you know, we know that when, when, couple, when married couples, um, they make love, they don't have sex. People that aren't married have sex, married couples make love. But the two become one flesh, the Bible says. And so this is the, this is the kind of when he says when to know him means that we become entangled with him. It's not just like, it's, see the problem is, is it's not know him here. It's know him here. It's know him here. I just spent two days with my family celebrating my parents' 80th birthday in Taupo. And I, I know, I know my, my nephew-in-law, Zion, who married my niece. I know him, but I know my mum. You hear what I'm saying? The, the know that he's talking about here is that it's, it's not just I know about him. I know him personally, intimately. I know him. I know him. It's a term that goes way beyond just knowing about him here, but knowing him personally here and in relationships. So the first thing he says is, I pray that you would have the spirit of understanding and wisdom so that you may know him, that you may know him. 
And then I pray that the eyes of your heart get enlightened. I'm, I'm a little bit confused about this piece of scripture because my, my eyes are here, not here. Like maybe Paul was a little bit confused. Maybe it had bad pizza that night. I don't know what it is. But my eyes are not in my heart. My eyes are in my head, yes? Okay, some of you don't believe me. Go home, look in the mirror, and you will see. But here's the thing. What Paul is talking about here is that we actually don't look through our eyes. We actually look through our heart. The Scripture teaches us that everything that happens in life comes out of our heart, not out of our eyes. That our eyes are a window to our soul. That our eyes is not actually what you see. It's what you see in your heart that shows you and every single one of us live our lives looking through our heart, not through our eyes. We look at all circumstances and all situations and all relationships based on what we have experienced. Yeah? We look through the lens of our past. We look through the lens of our pain. We look through the lens of our problems. We look through the lens of our hurts, our good days, our bad days, our relationships, every, our childhood. Everything that we look at in life, we actually look through our heart's eyes. We look through our experiences. We look through the things that we have gone through, the things that we have seen, the things that we have experienced. We look through that. And, and Paul is saying here that the first step is to get to know God, but the second step, once you know Him, the second step of your spiritual journey is where you start to get your heart right, where you start working on what's in you, where you get your heart healed, where you get your heart whole, where those paths things are dealt with because if you don't deal with those things that have happened in your life, you won't start seeing through the eyes of your heart as God intended. You'll keep on seeing everything in your life through your past hurts, pains, and experiences. That's why in this room, we can all be looking at the same thing and seeing it all differently because we filter it through our experiences. Come on. You see, a little thing that I learned early on in our marriage is that in my home, my, my parents' love language, especially my dad's, was touch. You know, if you've never heard about love languages, there's a great book called Five Love Languages, and it'll teach you about how people show their love. And, and so my dad was always hugging us or play fighting with us. Dad, dad, even right up until I told him, hey, it's not cool anymore when I was about 13, would always come and give me a kiss on the cheek, good night. It's not cool when you're 13, it's cool when you're three. Um, and, and so I grew up in this home where the way that we showed and expressed our love was through hugs and touch and snuggle up on the couch and watch a movie, all those sorts of things. And, and one way is not better than another way, they're just different. At Trinity, when I got married to her, the way that she showed love to me was through acts of service, which is by doing things for me, doing stuff for me, which is cool. I, I like that. I have no problem with that. Yeah. But the problem is, is that that's how she showed her love. I didn't show my love by acts of service. I showed her love by touching her. And the problem was, is that I'd come home from work when we were first married, and she would be cooking on the stove, acts of service, making me a nice dinner. I fillet steak wrapped in bacon with a red wine jus. That's, that was a standard thing in our house. So she would be cooking away, and then I'd come home, and 
How am I going to show her love? Well, the best way that I can show her love is by going up behind her, wrapping my arms around her, telling her I love her, and giving her a little kiss on the neck. Problem was, the response was, what the hell are you doing? I'm trying to cook dinner. Do you want me to burn myself? What is wrong with you? And because that's not how she showed love, she didn't know how to receive love that way, and so when I showed that love to her and she rejected it, it was a rejection of me because I filtered, how do you show love? Oh, based on my past experiences and my upbringing, you show it this way. She had been, through her past experiences and that, to show love that way. And it's not a rejection of each other, it's just different ways. And I share all that to say this, that we can be looking at the same thing. I want to show my child how much I love them, and one parent will do it by giving them a big hug, and the other parent will do it by making their bed for them. Same thing, but just different ways, because we filter everything through our hearts. Are you with me this morning? And the second step in the journey is to get your heart healed of all the stuff that is wrong, the hurts and the pains, because all of us are seeing exactly the same thing, but all of us are seeing it differently based on what has happened to us. And the problem with that is if we don't deal with the stuff that has happened, that stuff will dictate how you see life. And it will dictate how you operate in life. And it will actually dictate your path of life. Are you with me today? But once you have an intimate, powerful relationship with God, once you know Him, and once you have the power to get your heart right, clean and pure and working so much better, Paul says this, he goes, that you may know Him, that the eyes of your heart may be open, that, that healing and that would come, so you start to see things the way that God sees things, so that the next thing that you can do is so that you might know the hope to which He has called you. Here's the thing, you can't know the hope to which he has called you unless you know him and have the heart of your eyes opened. <laughs> because to know the hope and the calling is to know this, it's to know that you were born for a purpose, with a, born on purpose with a purpose. You can't see your purpose that God has for you if you don't know him and you haven't got your heart right because you won't be able to see his purposes because you'll filter it all through your past experiences. And so you won't be able to sing a song like what the enemy meant for evil, you turned it for good because you'll filter your circumstance through your past experiences rather than through his word that says, I can make all things work together for good. You see, part of your spiritual journey is to realize that God created you on purpose for a purpose. And I'm telling you, you won't see your purpose if you don't do the first two steps. It's virtually impossible to see God's plan for your life and for your future if you're still looking through the lens of yesterday. You can't see what is in front of you if you're filtering it through what's behind you. That's why Paul says, I press on towards letting go of the past, stepping into. Have you ever wondered or asked this question of yourself from time to time? Like, I've done this from time to time. You know, like, what it, why don't I know? Why don't I know God's purpose and plan for my life? Why, why don't I understand what it is? Why, why can't I see it? Can I, can I suggest to you 
this morning that maybe the reason why you can't see it is because you're still looking through yesterday's lens. You've got some stuff that you need God to come and do some healing in so you can start looking at it through his lens, looking at it through his eyes, settling the pain of yesterday so that you can see the promise of tomorrow. The interesting thing here is that the word hope and calling are connected. In other words, if you want to find hope, you're never going to find it circumstantially. You're never going to find hope in a better job. You're never going to find hope in better behaved children. You're never going to find hope in more income. You're never going to find hope in any relationship that you have. You're never going to find the hope that you're looking for. The hope is connected to your purpose. The hope is connected to your purpose, and your purpose is what God has called you to do. And you can't find your purpose and your calling if you haven't done the first two steps to be able to see your life the way that God sees it. Once you know that you're here on purpose for a purpose, that becomes the source of your hope. It becomes your hope. I know that I've got a purpose. I know that God has a plan for my life. I know I'm here. I know that God has great things planned for me. I know that the scripture says that I created in his workmanship with, with things that he has planned for me to do. I know that. And so hope comes to our world because hope is found in knowing that you're here on purpose for a purpose, yeah? But you can't do step two without doing step one and you can't do step three unless you've done one and two unless you've gone through that process. Once you settle yesterday once and for all and really deal with the pain and the problems and the hurt in the past of our hearts, then you'll understand. Then you'll understand once you deal with that that we're not supposed to spend our lives praying about us and our issues. But we're actually called to do something of purpose in our lives that impacts the lives of others. So we get to know Him we get our hearts right, we discover our hope and our calling, which is always about helping others, so that what? So that the fourth thing may happen, so that you may know the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people. You see, God's trying to take us on a journey that helps us find what we're really created to do. And he's got these four steps all the way through Scripture, and we find out with this glorious inheritance in his holy people. And, and every single one of us has an inheritance in God. But here's the cool thing that I love about it. It's not my inheritance alone. It's the holy people's inheritance. My inheritance is attached to all of you, and your inheritance is attached to me. I'm sorry. It's a group of people that God now wants you to make sure that you're connected with a group of people who also know their purpose, that also know what they're called to do, who together are receiving this inheritance that God has promised us. And you might ask, what is our inheritance? Psalm 2.8 says this, ask me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance and the ends of the earth, your possession. 
because nothing has changed from Adam and Eve where he said, go forth, subdue the earth, multiply, rule over it. The, the purpose of, of mankind has not ceased. It's about getting into relationship with him, getting our heart healed so we can see what our calling and our hope is so that we can then have an impact on other people's lives so that the inheritance that we share is that the whole world comes to know him. That our friends and our family and our next door neighbours and all that would come to know him. If we've done step one, it's time to do step two. If we've done step two, it's time to do step three. If you're on step three, it's time to step out and do step four. Are you with me today? You see, sociologists have proven that the highest need of a human heart is to feel that you have lived your life well. And what they discovered is that people that believe that they live their life well are people that have always served others and not themselves. We, we love the story of Mother Teresa, don't we? She, she is one of, to me, she is one of the, if you, if you want to model yourself on somebody that's ever lived, Mother Teresa would be the one. But why do we love her so much? Because she loved others so much. Come on. Billy Graham, one of the greatest evangelists that ever walked the face of this planet. If you've never seen the documentary about him on Netflix, I encourage you to look at it. But what was his story? God loves you and I love you too. It was always about other people. It was never about Billy. Reinhard Bonnke, who just passed away last year, saw over um, something like seven million people come to Christ in his lifetime. It wasn't about Reinhard Bonnke, it was about others. They call it transcendence, where all of a sudden your life has meaning and purpose because the human heart's need has been met because you now know that you lived your life well because you've done something for someone else. But here's the thing, you, you can't do that. You can't do stuff for other people unless you've discovered your purpose. Unless you've discovered your purpose, you don't know what to do. And you cannot discover your purpose unless you settle yesterday's hurts. And you can't settle yesterday's hurts until you know him. See, the first step in the spiritual journey is to connect with God, to know him. And as you guys know, when I say to know him, it doesn't mean just like to know him, but it means to know him. And that's why here at CFC, our first step in the journey for you is to connect with God. To connect with God, to know Him. Matthew 7, 21 and 23 says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. It's crazy because they're talking in that scripture about how they prophesied and they healed the sick and they cast out demons. And Jesus says to them, get away from me, I, I never knew you. So you can be doing a whole lot of things for God, but it doesn't mean that you know God. And what God is trying to show us here, it's not what you do for him, it's that you know him that matters. How sad would it be to live your life if you did all these great things for God, but then you never knew him? You see, he's not interested in what you do and he's not interested in religion and he's not interested in better religious behavior. He wants a relationship with you and me, and Jesus uses the same word here, and I never knew you, Ganisco, like he used in, in Ephesians where he says that you may know him. It's that intimate, personal relationship. And for some of you here today, 
that's, a, that's the first step that you've got to do to know him, to give your life to Christ, to let him come in and remove all the stuff from your world that you need removed, to know him. See, we need to take a step from being an attendant to church and from being more being religious, from trying to get our act together and just step into a personal relationship with a very real and alive living God. And I want to tell you, if you haven't done that, you need to take that step today. But there are a bunch of people here that have taken that step. They have given their lives to Christ. They have started to know him, but they've never taken the second step in the spiritual journey. You've never really dealt with the stuff that keeps holding you back and making it where the best version of you is not being lived because there's so much stuff that you're living your life through, that you're filtering through. It's that secret that you've never told anyone else. Only God knows. It's that secret. Well, the good news is for you that once you know Him, the good news for you is that God has a solution for you to be healed, that God put in place an ability for you to be restored so that you could find freedom that you could be restored. And he did it this way. James 5, 6 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. And so I've said this before and I'll say it again. Scripture teaches us that we go to God for forgiveness, but we go to one another for healing. We go to one another for healing. You're wounded and you've and, and you still got the same problems and the same addiction and the same issues and you wonder why. And it's because you haven't got a person to talk to you, haven't found the one that you can talk to and pray with. This is why connect groups are so important that we're part of it. Because in that connect group environment, you get the prayer, you get the support, you get the love, you get people that are there for you, helping you on your journey. You cannot get healing on your own. The scripture says that healing comes by being in relationship with one another, obviously people that you can trust. And as we confess our sins to one another, Another and pray for each other, you shall be healed. It's not going to happen by you, you and God in the closet. And God did not intend it to happen that way. And you, you and you spent your spiritual journey, some of you, 30, 35 years with the same stuff going over and over and over again in your life because you've never got yourself vulnerable enough with somebody that you can trust and be accountable to them to be able to say, hey man, I'm going through this. And they pray with you and healing comes. Now, here's the thing, for you to do this, it's scary, yeah? I, I, I'm not saying it's really easy just to go up to people and go, hey, let me tell you about what I've done in my life. And it's, it's not that easy. There are things that I have done that I will never tell you. I've told Trinity, but I'm never going to tell you about them. It's hard to do that. It's scary to do that. But let me tell you what's going to happen when you find that person that you can trust or that connect group that you can be vulnerable. Let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to say to them, hey man, I really struggle with this. And you know what their response is going to be? You as well? I thought I was the only one. You don't believe me? If you're a guy that struggles with pornography, here's news for you. You're not the only one. I'm not going to ask people to raise hands this morning. That would be really uncomfortable. 
But there are plenty of people that struggle with that. I struggled with it from 16 to 18 years of age. And it took me to sit down with my youth pastor and have a discussion and say to him, hey, I'm struggling with this. And he didn't judge me. He didn't get on my case. He walked with me through the journey and prayed with me so that I may be healed. You won't get through it on your own. And the friend is, there's nothing that you have faced that somebody else here has not faced themselves. That's why God puts us together. You're going to find prayer in a group. You're going to find the support that you need in a group. Because you know what? You don't need another Bible lesson. You need a person that's going to pray with you. Not that Bible lessons are bad. I'm just saying you need a person. Someone that you can be honest with, that you're going to discover there's real healing on the other side of that honesty. Confess your faults, your sins, the Bible says. Pray for one another so that you can be healed. Some of you have been on the spiritual journey for a long time and you've got one down pat, and you, but you've just never done two. You've never got that healing come to you. Or maybe you've got the healing, you, you've done really well. You, you've gotten to know God, you've got that healing going on, but then you've stopped there. And the thing is, is that you can't stop there because God's called us to grow. God's called us to discover our purpose. And you need to discover your purpose. Why do you need to discover your purpose? Because a study recently done says that 87% of the church doesn't know what their giftings and callings are. Now, the scary thing about that is this, is that the Bible says that as the church, which are people, it's not a building, that we are all interconnected. Yeah, they were all part of the body of Christ. Yep. Some of us are eyes, some of us are toes. If you live in Waiuku, there's an extra toe. I'm just joking. If you live in Waiuku, please forgive me. Some people are like the appendix. Nobody knows what they do, but it has the danger of blowing up and killing all of us. We're all part of the body of Christ, right? So here's the scary thing. How do you think the church looks to the world when 87% of the church doesn't know what part of the body it is? How does a body function? How would your body function if 87% of your body didn't know what to do? Eye pops out of your head. I didn't know I was meant to stay in it. Hey, think about it for a minute. How does that look to the world around us? And you know what? That's probably what the church looks like to those that aren't part of it. Because we need to discover what part am I meant to play? The problem is, is that most people want to play a part that they're not called to play. You know, understand that God has graced you to do what you're meant to do. And if that's car park duty, then do it with all of your might. You know, it's, it's, it's not about what the role you play. It's not about the, we, we perceive certain roles to be better than others, but God doesn't. God says that the little toe is as important as the big toe. Yeah? And that the heart is just as important as the little finger. I broke my little toe when I was younger. I want to tell you, that little toe plays a big part in your life, whether you realize it or not. You're part of the body and you need to know what part you are Corinthians 1.12 talks about all the different functions that parts of the body have. And, and, and the reality is, is God is really saying that you have a role to play. You have a function. You have a part to play. 
The problem is, is most of us, because we don't know what the part is that we have to play in the kingdom, we start searching for it outside of the kingdom. So we start searching for it in money. We start searching for it in relationships. We start searching for it in our careers. And I've got no problem with people making money and I've got no problem with people doing amazing careers. But you need to understand that the job you're in, your vocation is your ministry. If you are in a position of influence in the job that you're in, you're there because God has put you there. And it's not just about doing your job and it's not just about making money, but it's about bringing kingdom influence to every part of our society, be it politics, be it education, be it movies, be it whatever it is that you're doing, that we need that kingdom influence. And it's the role that you play, but you also have a role to play as part of the body of Christ. Romans says this, we all have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. In other words, what God has called you to do, He has graced you to do. If you try to do something that He hasn't asked you to do, then you won't be graced to do it. It'll be a disaster. Yeah? That word grace is the word uh, charis, which means that it's a grace gift. It's a, it's a thing that you're good at that makes a difference in somebody else's life. You have something God designed on the inside of you that you're good at. And when you do it, there's a, there's a fulfillment that makes a difference, not just in your life, but in other people's lives as well. And so we have to, when we get to the step, decide that we're going to pursue that, that we're going to go after what it is that God has called us to do. We've got to allow God to show us what those things are and help us to develop them. Because otherwise we'll end up chasing all the things in life that don't matter. I watched a, a wee while ago a, a YouTube clip of, uh, I was just looking for um, some illustrations once and I saw this little video clip that I thought that I'd never ever use in a message, but I remembered it um, while I was preparing this message and I watched this thing once about uh, grain, greyhound racing, you know, greyhound dogs and they race around, you got me? And they chase that mechanical rabbit, don't they? It goes around and, and they're trying to get to this mechanical rabbit you know, running along and all that. Anyway, in this one video clip, I think it was in Florida or somewhere like that, and, and as it's going around, the thing just explodes. <laughs> Stuff just goes flying everywhere. You know, like the thing explodes, it stops, and the dogs in the race do one of three things. Some of them sat down on the track and took a nap. Some of them just started barking at the people in the crowd. You know, at the people in the crowd. Others got so confused, they started running through the railings on the racetrack and breaking ribs and really injuring themselves. And when I thought of that and, and remembered that, it's such a picture of humanity today. If you're chasing the right thing, if you're not chasing the right thing, you're either going to take a nap, you're going to bark at everybody around you like it's their fault, or you're going to run around like a headless chicken and hurt yourself. Come on. Isn't that true? You look at that today. Either people just give up, quit, and take a nap. Or they start blaming everybody else for where their life is at. Oh, it's my parents. Because they're not dealing with the heart. Because it's easy to blame somebody else for where my life is and take responsibility myself. Or else they're running around trying to do a whole heap of things that they're not called to do and they're actually just hurting themselves and hurting everybody around them. If you want your life to be successful, you've got to go on to the pursuit of the purpose which God has called you to, which leads to 
where you start to lead and you make a difference in people's lives. Jesus said this in John 15, 8, as the musicians come. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be disciples. This is to my Father's glory that you would bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. John 15, 11, a little bit later on, he says this. He says, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you. In other words, what he's saying is that, man, once you discover your purpose, you will bear much fruit. And as you bear much fruit, making a difference in people's lives, that my joy will be in you. You'll discover that joy that you're looking for. Jesus is saying, if you haven't discovered what life is really like, if you haven't discovered what real joy is really like, you'll discover it when you start doing what He has called you to do and having an impact on people's lives and you'll lie down on your bed at night with your head on the pillow with that sense of, man, that was a great day. That was a great day. I know what it's like to live a great day because I'm, I've, I know Him. I know Him. Not here, I know Him here. That I see my life now, not through my past experiences, but He has enlightened the eyes of my heart to see life, how God sees it, to see me the way that He sees me. And because I now know who I am, I now know what it is that I'm meant to do because I found my hope and my calling and my purpose because I pursued it and I went after it because God has created me on purpose with a purpose. And when I operate in that purpose, I'm making a difference in people's lives. And because of the difference I'm making in people's lives, oh, the joy that floods my soul. Jesus put it this way. It said this, for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, despising its shame, so that you and I could know Him. For the joy set before Him, He went on the cross and died, nails in His hands and His feet, being whipped and beaten, a crown of thorn in His head, a spear in his side, that's joy. No, no, no. The joy wasn't what he went through. The joy was the fact that he knew that after he died and rose again and made a public spectacle of the devil and took back the keys of life and death and took hold of your life and paid the price for you and me. That was the joy that was set before him because he knew that this was gonna make a difference in your life and your kids' lives and your grandchildren's lives and those that have come before you and those that will come after you, those that live beside you, behind you and in front of you, that friend that you go to school school with, it was for the joy of seeing them come to Christ, the joy of seeing you live your purpose and make a difference in our community. That's the joy that was set before Him that allowed Him to endure the pain of the cross because He knew on the other side was fullness of joy and pleasures of life forevermore. I just really believe that God's asking us to take our next step. For some of you, that next step could be just giving your life to Him this morning. Some of you, that next step is about getting into a connect group and getting connected and finding that person that you can be straight with. Some of you, it's about, you know what, I'm, I'm all good in those two areas, but, but you're, you're actually just living for yourself and you need to discover the purpose that God created you to do. And if you know what God has called you to do, then you're gonna step into it and start doing it and make a difference in people's lives. This is the journey.